Going Down to South Park is brought to you by the Four Finger Discount Network. Howdy ho, boys. Elton John, what are you doing here? It occurred to me that you might need some more help raising money for Chef. Boy, do we. So I called a few friends, and we all decided to come over. Wow, cool! I see you've got a stage all set up for us. Yeah, dude, it's all yours. Then let's rock and roll, or something similar. Hooray! Kick ass. Welcome to this very special episode of Going Down to South Park, the podcast where we always have ourselves a time discussing one of the most monumental episodes in the history of South Park. It is Chef Aid. I am Dando. I am Guy, and yes, they got a monumental episode, just two seasons, 14 episodes into their second season. They're now what? How many How many seasons are they? Are we up to now? 24th? 25th? 26th. 26th, yeah. My goodness, it's old enough for me to date. A two off of DiCaprio, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. That's the Leo can't watch South Park anymore. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, if you're a fan of the new South Park episodes, we reviewed the Worldwide Privacy Tour. Uh, episode two of the latest season starring the prince and his wife. Wah. If you're a fan of that one, wah, we reviewed that exclusively on our Patreon. So if you want to get exclusive episodes of Going Down to South Park, you can support us and get access to that podcast. But we're here to discuss Chef Aid, an episode that I've compared to Bartomania uh, from the early 90s of The Simpsons. This is Chefamania. This episode was huge. It was massive in, the, in regards to, it was so big, not just because they had a lot of guest stars, but to promote the episode, they had a uh, Chef Aid behind the menu, filmed in the same style as a VH1 style um, uh, behind the music, mm-hmm. kind of like the behind the laughter episode of The Simpsons. Uh, and they had all the guest stars talking about Chef as if he's a real person and all the, the impact he's had on his career. Kind of like when they had the Who Shot Mon- uh, Mr. Burns episode of, of uh, The Simpsons when they had all these people discussing it like it's a real thing. Oh, I reckon no, this person shot him and all that kind of thing, treating it like it's a real thing. So these were, you had like Meatloaf and you had um, some people who didn't actually appear in the episode. So we didn't have um, Twisted Sister in the episode, did we? But we had Dee D- Snyder was on the special. Um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne was on the special as well, things like that. Just talking about how, you know, chef, music wouldn't be the same without chef. And it was it was funny, but by like 10 minutes in, you're like, oh, this is all it is really. It's not really anything. But <laughs> it, it was nostalgic though, because it's just... It, it made you feel like, oh, this was this was a, a, a moment for pop culture. This was like a really big deal. I remember as a kid, this episode felt like a really big deal. It was promoted heavily. Um, you know, you heard a lot about it on the radio and things like that, particularly because of the guest stars. Because you look at the guest star lineup and you think, Alton John, Meatloaf, Rick James, like, Dave, like all these huge names, Ozzy Osbourne, Rancid, Joe Strummer. All the, that, that's a huge fucking list of iconic rock legends all appearing. And that just goes to show the power of South Park halfway through the second season. Like the, To get Elton John to appear on a show like South Park, I think is probably the biggest deal of the lot, in my opinion. Like Elton John, you look at his... I mean, he's a charismatic guy, but for him to appear on South Park, that's a pretty big deal, if you ask me. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, as I said, yeah, 14 episodes into its second season, yeah, it just it speaks volumes about how much the show had... Uh, yeah, really got a grip of the uh, of the culture of the popular culture. Yep. I mean, yeah, that uh, that people were just lining up to uh, to be part of it. It was the, it was the you know, it was the in crowd. You were in with the in crowd if you were appearing yeah. on South Park. I think it wouldn't be wrong to say that it was on the level of Bartomania, don't you think? Oh yeah, you'd have to uh, no, you'd have to agree with that. I mean, it's uh, it's it, it is such a, uh, a an amazing lineup of talent. I mean, also it's just pure nineteen ninety eight. If you want an absolute pop culture yes. history lesson for that particular era, yeah, just tune into this and just like, oh my god, well, yeah, these are the uh, 
you've got a lot of vintage, classic, uh, you know, timeless artists, but you've also got some that are very much of the era. It's a, it's a, great, uh, it's a great snapshot of a particular moment in time. I love the way they handled the album as well. So they treated it like it was an actual live concert. So the songs were all being performed live. You've got Chef um, discussing, in bit like he's sort of like the host of the event on the album and things like that. I remember that album being huge in the schoolyard in Australia. <laughs> and I looked it up on the wiki page. So Chef A, the album, which is, it was one of the biggest albums of the 90s for Australia. It hit number one in Australia. It was sitting at number one on the ARIA charts here in Australia. It didn't hit number one anywhere else, but Australia, we loved us some Chef Aid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely we did yeah I mean uh, but it, it's not really that hard to understand why I mean if you if you have an album with this lineup of talent on it you know well yeah of course I want a bit of this I mean because it's got a bit of everything for everyone and you know it's a great sampler as well and it wasn't just a flash in the pan either because it was on the Overall charts for 1998 in Australia, it was 13th when it came to sales. But because it was released so later in the year, it ca- the, the sales carried over to 1999, where it still was in the top 30 for sales for 1999 <laughs> as well. Like It was huge. But like you were saying, though, it's just a great album of music. It's not like it's a, a takeoff of anything. Like, this is genuine r- punk rock music. I was about to say, it's a comedy album in some ways, but it's not a joke album. No, no, it's not at all. No, you got your plus. You get your chef songs as well. This is before the internet, before streaming and Spotify and things like that. Mm. Owning it felt like owning music from the show was a big deal in 1998. Like now, it's like oh yeah, you can just go on YouTube and watch anything you want. But to be able to own these yeah. South Park songs and listen to them whenever you wanted to, that was huge as a as a well, a ten year old kid in 1998. Oh look, as a, <laughs> as just a fan of the show, any I mean yeah, because I remember um. Not this album so much, but certainly the uh, the bigger, longer, and uncut the soundtrack movie, that came yeah. out the next year. I mean, that's just as uh, entertaining, just as much of a jam, really. I mean, that's got so many people driving around li- listening to Uncle Fucker in 1999 in their cars, <laughs> <laughs> just singing along to what would Brian Boitano do? Absolutely, yes. But th- this actually had three um, versions. So you had the standard version of Chef Aid the album. You had the explicit. And you had the, I believe it was called the extreme uh, version. So the the clean version had everything censored. The explicit one had some words censored, some words not. And extreme was just, you know, balls of the wall. We're just letting loose here. Uh, what I thought was interesting, though, that apparently on the explicit version, they don't censor out fuck, but they censor out shit. Okay, then. Interesting. <laughs> Which is an odd, an odd choice, <laughs> but I I never owned the album. Obviously, mum would never let me own mm. the South Park Chef the album. No, never going to happen. But my mate Michael at the time, he owned it, and um, he had, I don't know what album he had, but he definitely had one that had the word fuck in it. So, he either had the extreme or he had the explicit. Imagine it's Christmas morning. You know, Ooh, that's CD-shaped. You, you rip it <laughs> off and think, I've got, you, you go like the top left-hand corner, it's the South Park album. It's the clean version. Oh, it's the clean version. There's no parental <laughs> advisory sticker, ma'am. Ma'am! Uh, parental <laughs> advisory ticket. That, <laughs> it's just the mark of quality. I remember, um, you know that movie White Men Can't Jump? The Woody... Well, yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, of course. There's a terrible... Oh, I shouldn't say terrible. I'm preempting, But it looks like a terrible remake coming up. Um, oh, yeah. But no, no, you can say terrible. You, look, you watch it and you go, this just does not contain the same vibe as what the, the original had. Like, yeah. This feels like two guys trying to be the original as opposed to just having natural chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I don't know, 
Wesley Snipes' Woody Harrelson chemistry is up there with like I don't know Mel Gibson and Danny Glover or something mm. like that. It's yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, incredible. But um, which you would never would have expected before though. Like who would have thought putting those two together would create such chemistry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently they were in a movie before White Men Can't oh, Jump, really? and they were in another one after. They were in Money Train. Ah, but okay. uh, they were in a, a Goldie Horn comedy called Wildcats back in the uh, back in the mid eighties. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether they had many scenes together, I don't know. But, I mean, apparently they were, uh, Wesley and Woody were friends, uh, became friends on that set. But, yeah, then they were uh, put together for White Men Can't Jump. But uh, Woody Harrelson in that movie is wearing a T-shirt that's got the parental advisory explicit content on it. Uh-huh. Oh, I was just searching high and low for that as, like, this uh, yeah, skinny white kid in Geelong in the, <laughs> in the early 90s going, yeah, I'm going to look badass in my parental advisory T-shirt. <laughs> I'm advising you guys around me. There's going to be some coarse language coming out of this now. <laughs> Cover your ears, hide your wife. Yeah. I wonder if like parents would allow you to come to birthday parties wearing that. Oh, oh. you can't enter. Not wearing that, sir. <laughs> You're not coming in, you buddy mouth. But, but you, uh, just, you see that sticker and you just, you just, it reminds you of just being a child and thinking, oh, that's dangerous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's naughty. I'm not allowed. I'm not supposed to listen to that. But yeah, now, yeah. So Chef had the album. It was there. Like yes. I said, it was huge. Very much so, very much so, and uh, all sprang from this episode. Yeah. yeah, so the special aired as a way to promote the episode, the ep- the behind the menu aired beforehand, and it's um it's just got a, like I said a bunch of celebs, some from the episode, some not, just talking it up like Chef's a real person. But it also had the um the premiere of a film clip for the song by I think it was Master P, a mm-hmm. rapper at the time. He um he had a song called Kenny's Dead, and they played the film <laughs> clip for it, and it's actually worth a watch because it's a a film clip that incorporates all the South Park characters. So they go to South Park and Chef's driving around with a South Park version of this Master P guy. And um, the, the, the iconic lyrics from this song, right? I've got to find them. Hang on. I had them here. Here we go. So the lyrics are, and it was to the um, to the tune of... Fred, Freddy's Dead by Curtis Mayfield. Yes, exactly. Yes. The great Curtis Mayfield. We got a ride tonight. My little homie Kenny died tonight. Just on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> My little homie Kenny died tonight. <laughs> and just, that is like gangsters driving in Las Vegas. So basically the story of the film clip is that Kenny's dad gives him a quarter, like their last quarter, and he says, now fuck off to Las Vegas and go win us some money. And he goes to Las Vegas, Las Vegas, <laughs> and wins them some money. And unfortunately, Chef and Master P run him over at the end of the episode, uh, end of the clip, and they kill him. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's worth watching just for that. You can find it on YouTube. Um, yeah, it's just type Chef Aid behind the menu. It's worth watching just for that. But there is one guy in there who um, is just a famous comedian playing a producer Oh, what was his name? Here we go. Fred Goss. Do you know Fred Goss? I do not know Fred Goss. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Fred Goss, he um he plays a guy called Rory Schuster. And you're watching it and you're like, this guy can't be a real person. It's like he's too he's too flamboyant. And he's, and I dare I say, like, he's he's quite funny at times. But it's like, you can't be this naturally funny. You don't look like the kind of guy to be naturally funny. But, yeah, it's worth watching just to skim through anyway. Um, ch- check it out, uh, Chef A behind, uh, behind the mini. But, like again, like I was saying, it's just another way of just proving how big this episode was at the time. But I think you needed to. When you've got that many huge stars being on your show, you've got to get the word out somehow. And this is the kind of way we did it back in 1998. Absolutely. By, a quick, by the way, quick thing about Fred Goss. If you look at him, it's like, who's this guy remind me of? And I'll yeah. tell you who he reminds me of. Trey Parker. He does look like Trey Parker. Actually, you say that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But in this in this show, he had long black hair, and he's wearing like the the sleeveless shirt and the nineteen ninety eight chain around his neck and everything. Um, it's quite funny. But um, yeah. So I got a kick out of watching that. But uh, did you think though this episode? It's basically Krusty gets cancelled. I didn't oh, find anywhere online anyone <laughs> talking about this. It's Krusty needs money. 
you know, he's um he's, he's lost his job. Gabbo's taken over. Bart and Lisa round up a bunch of celebrities who are friends of his from the past to put on a show to get him back on the air. It's the same story. I, I, <laughs> now that you say that, I'm kind of slapping myself on the head going, oh, of course. How did I not yeah. see this? It was so much to the point where I'm like, this must have been an homage to it. I'm like, this this is just too blatantly crushed to get cancer. Surely that's what they were going for, but I don't know. I think it's a bit of a sitcom trope, though, as well, mm. that uh, occasionally have an episode where... Someone, yeah, a character's down in the dumps. So, hey, we're going to bring all their friends together to sort of pay tribute to them and celebrate. I mean, yeah, this is almost too. Yeah, this is very, very close to Krusty got cancelled in, in in that way in terms of the breakdown and all that kind of business. But uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it until just now, and now I can't unsee it. I'll yeah be looking at that forever. It just needed a gabbo. <laughs> Everything needs a gabbo. Oh, it does indeed. But did you enjoy the episode? I did, actually. Yeah, there were bits and pieces. I mean, there were bits and pieces in this that I was like, oh, this is from that. You know, I mean, of course, I knew the basic uh, uh, setup of this with, uh, as we said, you know, Chef's in Trouble, his, uh, his music industry mates have to come to the rescue. But uh, I'd forgotten about the whole Johnny Cochran and Chewbacca, uh, Chewbacca defense kind of deal. I'd forgotten about the evil uh, record company exec and his catchphrase. Uh, all of which, uh, all of which made me, I forgot that Chef. Um, uh, <laughs> Had to hit the whore trail. Had yes. to jiggle out to, to uh, earn a little cash. Yeah, a, a whole lot to enjoy in this. And it did have one of, um, I won't say one of my favourite Cartman moments, but certainly a very funny Cartman riff. The Chewbacca defence, as someone who grew up in the 90s, I knew what it was referencing. I always, as a kid, I didn't really know who OJ was, but he was talked about so much in different mm. shows. Oh, you know, OJ got off on my, who is this OJ? Like, what, what is this? And I learned about that when I got older. But it feels kind of dated now, doesn't it? Johnny Cochran doing the Chewbacca events. It does, yeah. I mean, it's uh, like a lot of things surrounding this episode. It's very much a flashback to the 90s as opposed to something yeah. that's continued to be in the public consciousness and just sort of uh, recycle and recycle. It's like, oh, no, this is a trip back in time to, yeah, a very specific incident. But still, I mean... I wasn't saying it in a bad way either, by the way. I was just saying yeah. that this is literally just anything to, to this epitomizes 1998. Like this, this is like as 90s as it gets, really. It really does. You're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> what were your favorite moments from the episode? Uh, <laughs> I did like when uh, Chef was basically teaching Elton John how to be Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's doing his dreadful song. What was it? Cheddar Cheese Girl or something? Was that the name of it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, no, your lyrics are shit ass. Plus, you know, here's a guy who might be able to help, but, you know, fix up your look. Get some slick glasses and shit. Which and shit. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> Chef hitting the whore trail I thought was great, but just the, the funniest part of that, actually there were many funny parts, of it, but the, the, the one that made me laugh was the most was after Chef's done servicing. Shall we say Sheila Provlovsky? Gerald comes mm-hmm. in. How was it, honey? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, okay, is this going to end up with him not wanting to be his lawyer anymore when he finds out? And then no, he set it up. How was it, honey? <laughs> what a what a terrific husband. He's just there to help. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I expected. <laughs> oh, I'm um, speaking of Elton John. Um, I love that when he actually showed up in South Park, he gave the Mister Hanky Gritty. Heidi ho, kids. Yes, I um, I thought I I was so impressed with Elton in this episode, thinking that you know he hasn't. I mean, I guess he can't though. When you're on South Park, you've just got to like have no shame, I guess. Well, I don't think Elton could ever be accused of having um having shame about anything. 
Uh, although I think in the in the late nineties and in the two thousands, I don't know he started to maybe mellow out a bit. Do you think? Do you think that was a case of um, of PR just going? All right, we're going to appeal to a younger demo now. Like, was your your demo who originally listened to you? They're now older. We need to appeal to their children. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually was the case. And but maybe he's just a South Park fan. Maybe he'd watched the first few episodes because I mean, it's hilarious. You've got people in the music industry and particularly the um, musical theatre and musical comedy kind of sphere who really view. Trey Parker, maybe not Matt Stone, but maybe the both of them, but I think I think mainly Trey, as kind of an equal. I mean, I think they realise straight, that, oh, this guy's a talent straight out of the gate. I mean, there's um, a great letter that you can find on the internet from, you know, one of the greats of American musical theatre, Stephen Sondheim, who basically said, Trey Parker, you're fantastic. Would you, would you ever consider working with me? It's like, holy shit, that's Stephen Sondheim. I mean, they pay tribute to him in later episodes. It's like... I mean, that's like Gary Ablett coming to your house. I'll explain in a second. But that's, like Gary, <laughs> that's like Gary Ablett coming to your house and say, hey, you want to go kick to kick? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Obviously, Gary Ablett, one of the most iconic AFL footballers of all time. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Be like Ronaldo saying, do you want to go you know, have a few kicks at the, down the field? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Be like MJ. That's Michael Jordan, not Michael Jackson. Uh, mm. Yeah, coming up and say, "Yeah, want to want to go play horse?" Yeah, man. I mean, can you imagine if MJ's rocked up to your house? I'd, just, I think I'd shit pant. <laughs> <laughs> I'd slam the door. And go, I'm sorry, but you, I take that personally. You come into my house. <laughs> but uh, yes, so I like I, that um, a lot. But I think my favorite, sorry, my favorite moment. <laughs> I, I, I'm inclined to like Ozzy Osbourne. But him just biting the head off Kenny, thats that was so funny. Well, that's we've learned now that that never happened, right? Apparently it isn't true. He didn't bite the head in, off of a bat, right? Or was it a dead bat? It, was, it wasn't a live bat. Are we going to have to... We might have to do some research on this. The story was that a bat was thrown up on the on the stage and he bit the head off the bat, right? Hmm. Let's, did Ozzy bite head off, off bat? bat. Let's, 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 let's put this to bed. <laughs> the internet won't lie to us. Um, so apparently he did do it. Um, it remains one of rock and roll's most well-known rock and roll stories. Uh, nothing better explains Ozzy's legacy. Here's the short version. The rocker bit the head off of a real bat that may or not have been alive while on stage at a concert. Okay, so maybe he did do it. I thought it was... Oh, wait, no, no. Actually, no. What it was was there was once a story going around when I was growing up that Marilyn Manson slaughtered a pig on stage. you remember that one? No, I never heard that one. I mean, there was one that used to go around with the kids that like Marilyn Manson used to, you know, scary guy to kids at the time that he yeah. killed a pig. Someone put a pig on stage and he killed it on stage and like drank its blood and stuff like that. That obviously wasn't true. Um, but apparently, yeah, saying here that he actually did do it. Oh, well, there you okay. go. Well, he did do it. And Ooh. I love that he, he was willing to just play it up in this episode as well. <laughs> like well, yeah. Episode. I mean, print the legend, is it? <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what that is. But what it is too is you can tell that uh, Trey and Matt were like fans of everyone they got on the show as well. Like it just it just suits them everyone they got on on the show. But except for Elton, you watch you like Elton doesn't fit with all these other people, you know. But but he does. But he doesn't like he's he's punk rock, but he's not punk rock in the way that the you know DMX are and that kind of thing. No, no. But I mean, he's a bit of a groundbreaker, Elton yeah. John, in a lot of ways. I think when we think of, say, the glam rock 70s, you know, you think of Bowie, you think of Mark Bolan, mm. all those guys. Elton John was, you know, just as flamboyant. I mean, just he was just a little more sort of 
audience-friendly or user-friendly. I mean, you, you weren't exactly scared of Elton John, but he was but he was kind of confrontational in his way. He wasn't just sort of, you know, getting up there in a three-piece suit or, you know, slacks and a, and a, and a polo shirt. I mean, he was, you know, he was a showman and he was showing off. So, uh, but you're right. I mean, he's not quite as, quote-unquote, hardcore as, uh, say, Rick James or Joe Strummer, but he fits. He fits in there. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a, a, not, a not an uncomfortable fit. It's a slightly awkward fit, but no, I think he's uh, I think he's earned his spot. I think of all the people they had on this episode, he's he's the name, right? He's the one. Like you, you got Ozzy Osbourne, and like they're all big names, but and even Meatloaf and stuff. But Alton John is the get, don't you reckon? Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think if you you land him first, and then he then. He's the sort of bait you go around. And say, we, you know, we've signed Elton John for this. You have. Oh, yeah. you guys are legit. Okay. That's how I used to get guest stars on this show. I'm like, yeah, we interview this guy. They're like, you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, that guy gave you some time, then maybe I will. But um, but yeah. So yeah, my favorite moments were, as you said, I liked um Gerald. How was it, honey? I also liked <laughs> the fact that they called Meatloaf Couscous, <laughs> <laughs> and he was thin. Yeah. So yeah, obviously, what the opposite opposite of big fat Meatloaf, just Couscous. <laughs> And obviously, the one that you mentioned before, I'm above the law. <laughs> I'm above the law. I don't, know, I don't know where that comes from. Because the first time I heard it, I'm like, what are they riffing on? It can't have come from this. But it, maybe it did. I'm above the law. <laughs> it happens every once in a while. Though. I mean, you'll have in the writer's room or in the recording booth or whatever, someone will just start doing a funny voice. Mm. And it'll either work from the get-go or, you know, someone will try to top it and then it'll just keep going up and up and up, up you know, levels and levels until it just becomes... South Park's great for that, isn't it? Trey Parker in, in particular. Oh, yeah. Watching him do the um the uh, human centipede that, I'm sorry, Kyle! <laughs> I've, I've seen that clip, right? <laughs> That's one of my favourite things on the internet. <laughs> the cuttlefish! <laughs> Okay, now let's try to get an answer from someone who's not a complete retard. All right, now we're starting a new segment here on Going to South Park, Mr. Davis. Each episode, I'm going to give you the air date of the episode. So this was October, I believe October 7th. Let me get this up. October 7th, 1998. This originally aired, right? Think back, right? You're the movie man. You're the movie guy, right? You review movies. Movie is your th- movies are your thing. In the week of October 7th, 1998... What do you think was number one at the US box office? Oh, gosh. Um, Early October 1998. I almost want to say Scream 2. No, not Scream 2. I've got the top three here. Would you want to give you a hint of what number one was? Sure, I would. It was a children's film. Hmm. Animated? Animated. Disney? I don't believe so. Okay. But you're you're on the right track, though, I reckon, with what you're saying there. Okay, then. Think of big CGI kids film, 1998, that lives in the shadow of a one that was similar. It's Ants, isn't it? It's Ants, yes. <laughs> it's funny, you know, Ants has got this incredible voice cast, you know, mm. I mean, admittedly. <laughs> the, the lead is not quite the, um, doesn't quite carry the uh, the same cash as he used to. It's Woody Allen is in the lead, uh, but yeah. Sylvester Stallone, Sharon Stone, I think, is doing a voice in it as well. But hey, yeah. Kevin Spacey's in a Bug's Life, mate. That's true. <laughs> oh my god, the dueling animated insect movies of nineteen ninety eight are both cancelled. Yeah, they're both been cancelled, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, Ants was number one, a film that I have never seen. 
when that ad for that movie used to come on, it used to scare me. It looked scary to me when I was a kid. I don't know why it, does, it scared yeah. me. It sounds silly. I would have been 10, but I was just like, they look fucking freaky. I didn't like it. They do. The animation, I mean, of course, A Bug's Life was out at, um, I don't know, roughly the same time, or they were kind of dueling, as I said, an- animated uh, insect movies. And A Bug's Life had that uh, that lovely sort of curved childlike uh, Pixar animation. It's like, oh, this is all, all smooth edges and, you know, nothing's going to hurt me here. Yeah, but ants, they kind of like, this is angular and odd. <laughs> and dark. It was so dark and brown and it wasn't colourful and bright and outside. It was just, it just, it came on the screen. I remember the trailer of the movies and I was like, I don't like this. It just, it yeah. just scared me. It was just dark. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm trying to recall what the actual plot of ants is. I can't, I don't really remember much about it at all. I just remember that it just had this, uh, this big name cast yeah. And um, was about ants. <laughs> but a bug's life, yeah. I mean, it's basically the story of, you know, Seven Samurai or the Magnificent Seven, but with bugs. I always thought it was um, it was not successful, ants, but no, it was number one at the box office in early October of 98. Now, do you want to try and guess what the next two were? I'll give you a, a couple of hints for the next two. They were... So number two was a Robin Williams film, which I had never heard of until I did this little research. Oh. Was it What Dreams May Come? Correct, yeah. I never. Is that a good film? I've never seen it. Uh, I think I only saw it once, and it was, yeah, kind of an odd fantasy uh, with some dark elements. I mean, basically, uh, Robin Williams' wife uh, commits suicide and is subsequently goes to hell, and he sort of goes to hell to find her and follow her, uh, to follow her and to find her and to bring her back. I read the description was that the children die in a car accident, and then he dies, and he doesn't know. Maybe I'm thinking of something entirely different. Okay. <laughs> I think you must be. <laughs> I just knew that uh, there was death in it. Yeah. Yes, there was death. Um, but it doesn't seem like a movie that I would really enjoy. And the third one was a budding cop comedy. I think budding it was cop. I've never seen it. But um, Jackie Chan. Oh, it's Rush Hour then. Rush Hour, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, re- I re-watched that not long ago because I'm like, I'm in the mood for some junky late, eight, late 90s nostalgia Yep. How far wrong can you go with Jackie Chan? And then I watch it. And oh, I just did. This is this is Chris Tucker <laughs> before he sort of you know. I've, I've, I came to appreciate Chris Tucker a little more as time went by, but early on, it was like, oh man, you were just really going for it, and yeah, not not in a way that's necessarily all that appealing to me. It kind of like when we rewatched Fifth Element recently. It kind of hurt me. I was like, I've had enough of him by this point. It's like it just felt like yeah. too much. Fifth Element has got just enough. Chris Tucker, you know, if it had yeah. any more, he'd be going. Can we get back to? Can we get back to that blue opera singer lady? Can we get back to anything else than this? Yeah, okay, well, thank you for that. Um, I flunked that quiz, but uh, we'll keep doing it. And I'm going to uh, one of these days. I'm going to stump you. Get them all. Yes, but don't you do any research though. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> when okay, I so. My f- uh, for now it's time for some trivia. So before we do trivia, we need to, of course, read out the names of our patrons because they are the people who support us here on the Four Finger Discount Network. Remember twenty, uh, sorry, remember five dollars or more gets your name read out on the podcast. Five dollars each week will get your name read out on the show. Now we're going to start our shoutouts this week, Mister Davis, with our man from a fellow Simpsons podcast, The Simpsons Index. His name is Elliot J O'Neill. So check him out, The Simpsons Index podcast. He is our one hundred dollars supporter of the month, and thank you so much for your ongoing support, sir. And also thank you to our man, Andrew Zer, for his $50 per month support as well. Absolute legend. Yeah. And remember here, these following people have been supporting us with $5 each this week. We've got Jordan, Moleman, Richie, Christopher Darby, 
Jonathan Rossi, Zach Pruitt, Timothy Burleson, George McMenemy, Stephen Roberts, Sean Devey, Pete Anderson, Andrew Davis, Ryan Dunlap, Jared Howard, Kevin Dental Plan Flood, Joel Yoland, Katie G, Daniel Kotnick, Shannon Hofer, Reese Roberts, Bella Winderbank, Mark Boston Burgess, Jack McFadden, Heath Appleby, Preston Murray, Adric McLeod, and Lewis Kavanagh. And the newest members of our family this week, we have Ryan Simmons, Ashley Anderson, Grant, J-Man Willie, Hayley Parker, Carantine, Adam Sullins, Peter Biscop, Jack Worcester, Ferdinando Bianacini, Kelly Clifford, Daniel M. Mart, Reese Wilson, and Monica Sonson. Thank you so much for your support, guys. Welcome to the clubhouse, gang. Yeah, absolute champions. Remember, like I said, $5 or more will get your name right out on the podcast. But And obviously supporting your, your folks here at Four Finger Discount slash going down to South Park. Mr. Davis, what's your first question? My first question to you, what is the name of the record label that uh, that released Stinky Bridges? Is it Capital? It's Capitalist. Capitalist. Oh, I didn't notice that. Nice little play on words. My first mm. question is, what's the name of the judge for the court case? It is the Honourable, misspelled Honourable, Judge Moses. Correct. According to Johnny Toc- uh, Johnny Cochran, how tall is Chewbacca? Eight feet. He's eight feet tall. Eight feet tall. And my final question, I've only got two here because I've, I've, the first question was obviously the box office one. My final one is, <laughs> how much did Chef make from whoring himself out? Uh, Chef made 410 thousand three hundred dollars i love that that is went absolutely ridiculous he's like i only made four hundred and ten thousand three hundred no nowhere near the two million but like that's a fuckload of money <laughs> and particularly as he was you know selling that chef goodness for like a hundred bucks a shot i'm gonna do the maths here so that's t- that's a lot <laughs> i believe it would be four thousand one hundred and three three is that right i don't know <laughs> whatever <laughs> sounds about right uh would you like any more qu- i can give you another hit me with one more hit me with one more and we'll get into our okay. review Okay, I'll hit you with one more. What did Elton John buy from the kids? Ah, damn, I knew you were going to ask a question about the candies. I don't know, what were they? He bought three crispy yum-yums. I tell you what, if you're looking for the best darn King of the Hill podcast this side of Ireland, look no further than our new show, Speaking of the Hill, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series. Speaking of the Hill is available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. The original air date of Chef Aid was October 7th, 1998. It was written by Trey Parker and Matt Stone and directed by Trey Parker. So the episode kicks off with Cartman singing Stinky Britches by uh, Alanis Morissette. Another 90s uh, sort of... I mean, she's still... People still know who she is now. She still does things, but she's a very... She's very much 90s. You think of When you think of Alanis Morissette, it's 1995 onwards, you know? It is. I mean, I don't think many, many people are talking about the new Alanis Morissette album, if in fact one actually exists... But they are sort of talking about, hey, it's the 25th anniversary of Jagged Little Pill. Which is one of the first albums I remember hearing. I used to have a next door neighbor named Danielle. Danielle, if you're out there listening, shout out to you. She used to like babysit me and always look after me. You know, great, great person. But I remember going to her room and she just had like, she was like the, it was so cool because she had like the albums that, you know, were more for teenagers. But, you know, she had Nevermind and she had Jagged Little Pill sitting there. I remember she put it on and I was like, it was like my first sort of introduction to real music. I was like, this is different. And now whenever I hear the music, it takes me back to being in Danielle's room listening mm. to the, the actual CD at the time. And it's, it's a great album. It is. It is. I mean, I was, wasn't um, a huge Alanis fan, but uh, it, just, it just seeped into you by osmosis because yeah. I mean, it was everywhere back at that time. And yeah, the more you hear it, it's like, she's a pretty good songwriter. She's a pretty good singer. 
It's a pretty good song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you ought to know it was overplayed, but if you look at the other songs in the album, like, um, you know, Ironic is a great song. Uh, you've got, um, what's the hand over, is it hand over, head over feet, head over feet. Head over feet, yeah. Songs like that. Like, yeah, they're, they're fucking, to me, are great songs. But yeah, so in here, they're taking the piss out of her because she's singing Stinky Bitches <laughs> um, or Cartman's singing because it's stuck in his head. And Kyle asks Mr. Garrison here. We've got Mr. Twig still here. So that's a sort of the sub story we've got to mention, actually. The, the oh, sub story yeah. of Mr. Garrison getting Mr. Hat back. How do you think they handled that before we get into the the, the full review? Uh, look, it was kind of slight, a little inconsequential, but uh, I got a few laughs out of it. I mean, uh, yeah, the whole Fatal Attraction shout out with the um, yeah, and just the the mind games that are being played, you know, with the Mister Twiggy that ending up in a pot or ending up in bed with bits broken off him. Ah, oh, I don't know. You, you knew where it was going, out. didn't you? Yeah, you did. You did. But, uh, I don't know. I think Mister Twig. I don't know. He didn't have any staying power. We need to get Hat back. Hello there, children. Hey, you got stinky bitches. Stinky what did you say? He's singing some new hit song. Eric, why don't you hear that song? It's all over the place, on the radio, MTV, everywhere. Well, I'll be sodomized on Christmas. What, dude? Children, I wrote that song 20 years ago. You wrote it? Yeah, back when I used to be in the rock business. And now it looks like some big record company has published one of my songs. Oh, I don't want any money. I'd just like to see my name on the credits, that's all. Then we should go to the record company. My dad's a lawyer, dude. He tells me about this stuff all the time. Well, all right. Maybe I will go. I'll play them my version of the song. <laughs> I love the line here. Well, I'll be sodomized on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Chef can't believe it. It's a song that he wrote. There's actually an, uh, uh, an error in this episode. So he well, says here, I wrote it 20 years ago. And Johnny hmm. Cochran later on, I had to go back in, in the episode and go, did I get my notes wrong? Johnny Cochran says he wrote it 40 years ago. No, oh, no sorry, he says 10 years ago. 10 years ago, yes. But um, Chef says 20 years ago. I'm like, when was it, guys? When was it? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was just another way of Johnny Cochran's way of confusing everybody. That, that doesn't that guy make his sense. That defense. Yeah, it just keeps you, <laughs> keeps you on your toes. This does not make sense. But Chef just, you know, he's a great guy. He doesn't want any money. He doesn't give a shit about that. He just wants his name on the credits. He just wants mm. to be credited to, you know, he helped write that song. He wrote the song. Well, good luck with that, Chef, because the guy, yes, the, the gentleman at Capitalist Records, by the way, did we get his name? I, think I don't did. believe so. I don't believe so. Yeah, but the evil comb-over uh, executive at Capitalist Records is not having any of that, is he, Dando? If there's one way of, disc- of, of portraying uh, weasel-esque villain, it's the comb-over, isn't it? It is. It is. The guys who are a little bit overweight, slightly sweaty, and yeah, definitely uh, trying to cover up that bald spot with whatever they've got left up top. It's kind of like uh, Gary Oldman in Fifth Element. It is. It is. We haven't recorded that yet, have we? No. We haven't recorded that yet, no. <laughs> but we'll get to it. We're going to get to yeah, it. We'll get to it. Yeah, I love the little tidbit before we get into um, the South Park here, the little tease for our Fifth Element reviews. Gary Oldman hates that movie, only did it because he felt like he had to. Oh, my... <laughs> Wait, what? Felt he had to because why? Because Gary Oldman did a film that he directed, he wrote and directed, and the guy who produced uh, Fifth Element helped fund the movie. So Gary Oldman felt like he owed the guy. Well, yeah, Gary Oldman and Luke Besson, the director of The Fifth Element, had worked together previously on The Professional a few years earlier. And yeah, yeah, then uh, Luke Besson and his company bankrolled a very nasty movie called Nil by Mouth, which is basically just about the worst family ever um, and their adventures in domestic abuse and all that kind of stuff. Not exactly uh, light uh, Friday night pizza and beer viewing, but uh, anyway, we'll talk about that when we talk about Fifth Element, but right now we're we going to talk yes. about Chef Aid. 
We had to talk about Chef Aid, and um, you know, so they go to um to Capitalist Records, as you said. I've got Capital Records, but you've you've explained to me it's Capitalist Records, which is even funnier. And Kyle says his dad's a lawyer, so that's why he goes with him. Stinky bitches, you got those stinky bitches. So you see, Mr. Big Record Producer, stinky bitches was something I wrote several years ago. Hmm, I really see no resemblance between that song and Stinky Britches by our artist Alanis Morissette. Huh? It's the same goddamn song! Now look, I'm trying to be cool about this, but you can't just rip people's music off. It's against the law! I am above the law! Mr. Chef, I'm afraid you leave me no alternative. We're going to sue you. Sue me? You stole one of my songs, and you're going to sue me? Yes. I suggest you get a real good lawyer. We'll have the best in the business. We'll get my dad to be Chef's lawyer. Yeah, and he's Jewish. The delivery from Trey here, you, just, you know for a fact that he would have said it about a, at least a thousand times when they were recording this episode. <laughs> I'm above the law. <laughs> and he would have said it around the house whenever someone says, you know, pick your socks up, honey. <laughs> I'm above the law. Above the law. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that Trey still says that to his missus and she still gets a chuckle <laughs> out of it. <laughs> and they threatened to sue Chef. That backfired. Really did. Mm. Can't trust record companies. When you have this many guest stars on, right, and mm-hmm. admittedly, when I was watching it, it never felt like they were rushing through. But do you? Th- what do you think the purpose was of having the Garrison storyline in there? Like, because like, surely when you got all this many, you got this many guest stars, you'd have enough content to fill out the twenty-two minutes. What was the point of having the Garrison story in here? I don't know. I don't, it didn't add anything to the chef story. Not really. No. I mean, maybe they just felt compelled to have some kind of B-plot just because that's the rules, that's the conventions. And they're only two seasons into their TV show. I mean, maybe they're... Admittedly, Parker and Stone don't seem short of confidence or anything like that. I mean, I think they haven't met a rule they didn't want to sort of bend or break. But at the same time, I thought, uh, we'd probably better have something just to break up the story and just have a little step away. And then we'll come back. Tiny mm-hmm. step away, then come back. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Who knows? But Garrison here is watching Stinky Bridges on TV and he goes and finds Mr. Twig boiling in the pot. Stinky, stinky bridges. Stinky bridges. Mr. Twig, is that you? Mr. Twig? Ah! Mr. Twig! No! Who did this to you, Mr. Twig? Who? Uh, so we've got the court case now, and Gerald tells Chef, don't worry about it, just keep quiet, I'll handle this. And then he realises it's Johnny Cochran. Uh-oh. What do you mean, uh-oh? <laughs> and um, to viewers these days, Johnny Cochran, I mean, obviously in 1998, everyone's well aware. The guy was terrifying when, when it comes to court cases, but like, and like, how did he make this happen? How did he get OJ off? But that name in 2023, 2023, doesn't really mean much, does it? No, no. I mean, you you basically have to follow. Well, I mean, it's lucky that, uh, that's out, that this episode actually says... He got OJ off. It's like, oh, yes. okay. Well, in that case, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and but, you, you uh, can't you can't judge an episode for feeling like 1998 when it aired in 1998. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, you know what would have been awesome though if they actually got Johnny Cochran to voice this. Imagine if you had Johnny Cochran <laughs> doing the voice of the of the fucking Chewbacca defense. That would be peak <laughs> South Park, don't you reckon? Oh yeah. If you had Johnny Cochran going, it does not make sense. Like, yeah. You had him saying that. Holy shit. <laughs> It's hilarious how much Cochrane sort of got hold of the, uh, as I said, the uh, the collective consciousness. Because I mean, there's the whole thing with uh, with Seinfeld, the Jackie Charles character, who's basically a Johnny Cochrane um, ripoff. Mm. Yeah, in the nineties, was like, oh wow, yeah, this <laughs> this guy's a character. 
Yes, exactly. But then we get Garrison once again. He's racing Mr. Twig into the hospital. They think it's a baby, but it's not. Um, you know, just over-exaggerating. Everyone's like, this. it was nice, I guess, at one point for everyone in this town to just go, you know what, Garrison? We've had enough. You're fucking crazy. We're putting, we're putting you away. <laughs> enough, enough's enough, buddy. Our, our tolerance only goes so far. So we're at the 15th day of the trial. So it's a long trial. It's already been on for two weeks. Mm. And he's wondering whether he'll use the Chewbacca defense. But I think we get the kids watching first and we get Cartman saying, I'm going to kick him in the nuts. But it just felt like filler. We've seen him do this a couple of times now. It's, oh, it's always funny, mm. but it just sort of, yeah, just a way of getting the kids on the screen, I guess. Because you know for a fact that when they're making these shows, it's like, all right, we can't go more than like two minutes without Cartman being on the screen. We have to get yeah. Cartman. We've got to have him talking into this. Or, you know, saying something, you know, saying one of his catchphrases. But it's true, though, I think. I think, like, you know, when you've got to show a character who is just taking pop culture by storm, you know, he's like the Urkel kind of thing. He's the mm. Fonzie. Would you compare him to Fonzie? He was pretty big. The Cartman character was massive in 1998. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's every, always that Every breakout. market you got, there's always, remember all the bootleg South Park merch you'd see everywhere? It was just like, mm. kick ass, written, written underneath, like, Cartman. <laughs> like, the, the quote merch. Remember the quote merch? Yeah, and well, likewise when The Simpsons first started. I mean, you, yeah. you just had Bart everywhere. Yeah, so I never got to experience Bartomania, but I experienced Cartmania, Cartmania, mm-hmm. as you could say it. Cartmania. Um, yeah, and, and it, was, it was just fun. It was a fun time to be a kid watching this character who felt... I can understand why parents in 1990 thought Bart was a rebel, but you compare him to Cartman and you think, oh, wow, yeah. you thought Bart was a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't they say that at... Uh, at some stage down the line where, you know, Bart makes an appearance on South Park or vice versa and it's like, oh, I cut the head off a statue and, uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose that's pretty badass. You know? is, is, that the, is that the Simpsons already did it episode? I think it might be, but then Cartman says something like, yeah, uh, I killed this kid's parents and then I, 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 fed, the, <laughs> I, I fed the kid his parents. <laughs> Whoa, man. <laughs> But um, yeah, so we get uh, we're at the court case now. That's why I've got Cochran. He says ten years ago instead of twenty. I was a bit confused there. I thought I'd made a mistake, but he uses the Chewbacca defence and just no matter how many times he said that does not make sense, it was funny. That makes sense. It does not <laughs> make sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chewbacca. Chewbacca is a Wookiee from the planet Kishik, but Chewbacca lives on a planet Endor. Now think about that. That does not make sense. Damn it. What? He's using the Chewbacca defense. Why would a Wookiee, an eight-foot-tall Wookiee, want to live on Endor with a bunch of two-foot-tall Ewoks? That does not make sense. But more importantly, you have to ask yourself, what does this have to do with this case? Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, it has nothing to do with this case. It does not make sense. Look at me. I'm a lawyer defending a major record company, and I'm talking about Chewbacca. Does that make sense? Ladies and gentlemen, I am not making any sense. None of this makes sense. And so you have to remember, when you're in that jury room deliberating and conjugating the Emancipation Proclamation, does it make sense? No. Ladies and gentlemen of this supposed jury, it does not make sense. If Chewbacca lives on Endor, you must acquit. The defense rests. Okay, then. Wow, he's good. In a teary-eyed courtroom, Johnny Cochran has just finished his closing arguments, and as was anticipated, he did use the Jupaka defense. Whether or not it worked is up to the jury to decide. How find you the jury? We find the defendant, Jerome Chef McElroy, guilty as charged. <gasps> Whoops! Whoops! Mr. Chef, you've been found guilty of harassing a major record label. The full fee of $2 million will be handed over within 24 hours. Do I look like I have $2 million? Well, you have 24 hours to find it, or else you'll have to go to jail for eight million years. 
section for four years. Oh, sorry. You'll go to jail for four years. This can't be happening. By the way, did did we know Chef's full name before this no, episode? I forgot to mention at the start. Yeah, Jerome. Yeah, Jerome McElroy. Jerome Chef McElroy. <laughs> yeah, cool name, Jerome. It fits Chef Jerome. Jerome's not bad, is it? Yeah. yeah. And I think if I was Jerome, I think I'd be asked to be called Jerome all the time other than, hey, Jerry. So we're now at Chef's place and they're seizing all of his stuff and the kids come over to try and cheer him up. I wasn't a fan of the Cartman doing the German dance. Again, it just kind of felt like, ah, oh, you're just cramming Cartman in for the sake of it. Yeah. It did. I mean, I got a kick out of it, I, I, I yeah. must admit. I mean, I like, I like all things German, <laughs> mainly just because the German accent is one of the funniest to laugh at. Um I like the way that a little later down the line, I think Stan refers to it as the German Donz. Does so, he does actually? Yes. We're, we're gonna get we're gonna get Cartman to do the German Donz, <laughs> which I just got an absolute kick out of. Um, but you're right. I mean, it does feel like let's get Cartman to do something, or you know, Cartman does his does his <laughs> does his Cartman does his Cartman thing. Mm. It's like okay. I mean. Then it's not always going to be a winner, but I don't know I got a bit, little bit of a kick out of it this time. One thing I did notice, not not Cartman, but in this scene, uh, the record company guy he's carrying a tube of something called spooge, Sp- spooge or splooge or something. I was like, what is this? I think, I think it was spooge, and I thought, are they going to make something in this? Is it Chef's toothpaste and he's stolen it? Is it like condensed milk? What is it? My like, spooge just sounds like a random well, word to describe semen, don't you reckon? Um, it is a random word to use to describe semen. Speech. <laughs> but I did like the uh, going through the photo album and loving many, many women, including a goat, apparently. I and missed the goat. I did see the two uh, two uh, ladies on the Chinese wall. Well, that, that was the photo that they said, go back for a second. He's like, don't worry about that one. And he goes on to the next ah. one. There was him with a goat. And he takes the photo album as well because he is above the law. And Chef says, don't worry, I'm going to raise the money and I'm going to hire Cochrane and sue you. And then we get to Garrison once again, and he has Mr. Twig in bed, all relaxed until he realizes that he's been snapped in half. Chef now calls Cochrane, he's on him on the phone. Cochrane agrees, he'll um he'll help do his case if he gets the two million dollars. So the kids start suggesting bands that they saw in his um in his photo album, because you know he used to be part of the rock scene. And uh, he goes, Yo, you guys do that, that's fine, but I'm gonna go whore myself out. I love it. He puts on his whore jacket. I yes. That. I think for me watching it because I knew how many guest stars were in it I'm just kind of sitting there kind of like Milhouse going when are they going to get to the celebrities <laughs> so um, the kids then finally go to see um, the musicians and they go to Elton John's house hi are you Elton John Sir Elton John I was knighted you know we're trying to raise money for our school chef we have chocolate nuggets and smoke crunchies I'm sorry but I'm not a big candy bar fan what could you just buy a couple anyway our friend chef is really chef you mean chef chef yeah dude well you remember him of course I haven't seen him in so long I remember when I first met him. It was about 25 years ago. I was just a struggling musician who couldn't get a break. Oh, oh, you're my cheddar cheese girl. You're soft but firm and you go well with wine. Oh, oh, cheddar cheese girl. Cheddar, cheddar cheese girl. Hey, Elton, don't feel so down, baby. Have some of my Scottish haggis. It'll cheer you up. Thanks, Chef. I just don't understand what my music is missing. Look, Elton, you are a great singer. But a retarded monkey could write better lyrics. I really thought I had it this time with Cheddar Cheese Girl. What you need is a guy to write really good lyrics for you. I know a guy named Bernard Toppin who's working at Mothburger right now. I'll give him a call. That's a great idea. And Elton, why don't you get yourself some new threads? You know, some slick glasses and shit. 
And so I got Bernie to write my lyrics. If it wasn't for Chef, I would never have had a career in music. So will you buy some of our candy bars to help him out? Yes, of course. I'll buy three crispy yum-yums. Three crispy yum-yums. Hey, Elton, if I give you these lyrics, will you write a song for my girlfriend, Wendy? Sure, kid, but I would retain exclusive worldwide rights, including but not limited to Asian territories with a 20% commission on all domestic sales and sole ownership of any and all publishing. Okay. Tell Chef I said hi. It's, it's nice. This is the thing. We recently did the review of uh, the worldwide privacy tour, right? And <laughs> they take the mickey out of Elton John in there. What do they call him? Smelly John. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that Elton watched that with a smile on his face. When you watch this one, you know that Obviously, he was either a fan of South Park or he's, fan, he's a friend of... Mm. You've got to be friends with him, I guess, by the point. You wouldn't turn down a friendship with Trey and Matt in 1998, right? I don't um, think you would. So, twenty was it 25 years later, 24 years later, I like to think that he saw Smelly John and just went... Because what did he say? It was a queef, 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 queef. <laughs> I don't think that he just, he just laughed at it. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I did enjoy, though, about this flashback, about Cheddar Cheese Girl... It almost sounds like an Elton John song before he became Elton John. It's like, you're on the way to becoming Elton John? I mean, it doesn't sound like... It, it sounds like an Elton John song, but just, yeah, one that Bernie Taupin didn't write the lyrics for. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It's, they're smart guys like that, Parker and Stone. Next person they have... Um, actually, before they go to the next person, Stan gives him some lyrics. Um, to, you know, can you write a song with these lyrics? Yeah. Of course, Alton's going to own the rights to all those songs, uh, to all those yeah, lyrics. Perpetuity. Yes. Clever. Chef is now uh, rooting Sheila. Well, he's finished rooting Sheila. And I, I just, I, lo- I love <laughs> this montage with the various women, you know, just laying in bed. It's just enough cleavage to, to sort of let the viewer know, you know what's been going down right now, don't you? <laughs> I must admit, I was like, whoa, Sheila. <laughs> Packing heat. So <laughs> the only unsettling thing about this was the photo of Kyle in the background. Well, yeah. It's like Chef is just going at it with Sheila, with her, with Kyle. Just looking at this photo of Kyle while he's just going for it. <laughs> and Gerald entering with the how was it, honey, which is fantastic. Then we, they go to see Meatloaf, the kids, and we get the flashback from the pit. Hello, are you Meatloaf? Yeah, what the hell do you want? Mr. Loaf, we are selling candy bars for our dying friend. He's not dying, Cartman. Shut your goddamn mouth. We have Nilla Crunchies, Berry Bars. What's this for? Our friend Chef. Chef's in trouble? Yeah, do you know him? Do I? Nobody came again. There, there, Couscous. It'll be all right. Maybe you just need to change your image. What do you mean? Nobody wants to see a guy named Couscous. You need a big, strong, beefy name. Beefy? Like, uh, Tri-Tip. That's not bad. Here, have some meatloaf. I owe everything to Chef. Wow, so you'll help him? You bet. Give me a box of Nella Yum Yums and a couple of berry bars. Cool. I did like the backstories for how they all met him. You can tell they would have had a bit of fun. How, how does Chef? How does Chef help Meatloaf? And how did he help out in John? Let's make it as yeah. wacky as possible. And just fattening up Meatloaf was just a great way to go about it. Yep, you've reminded me of something though. I mean, I was hanging out with the lovely Louise, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. We were up late watching uh, music videos or whatever. Meatloaf's on, and she's asking me why. Why is he called Meatloaf? How did he come up with the name Meatloaf? And she was just fixated on it. She couldn't get past, yeah, but why Meatloaf? And I'm like, I wish I, could, I wish I had an explanation. I mean, I'm sure I could Google it. I'm sure there's a reason, but it's something in the 70s. I mean, you know, she was there for it and so was I. But it's like, why Meatloaf? I know the reason. It's in my head somewhere. I can't think about it. I know if I Googled it, I'll go, of course, that's why. I remember because my dad is a huge Meatloaf fan. And I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I know that Meatloaf's so. real name is Marvin, or was, Marvin Lee a day. 
Yep. So that's ML right there. I'm Googling why Meatloaf called that. Not the oh, type musician. Not yeah, the not word. the dish. Because <laughs> <laughs> Google's going, because it's meat and it's in a loaf shape. Come on, man. Okay, so the musician said on Oprah Winfrey's show, Where Are They Now? in 2016, that he was born bright red, explaining that his father told the hospital to put a meat tag in front of his crib because he looked like a nine and a half pounds of ground chuck as a newborn. Thanks, Dad. That can't be right. <laughs> um, so he was later called ML in reference to his initials. Oh, so he's, yeah, so it's ML, yeah, the initials there. But when, he, when his weight increased, his seventh grade classmates referred to him as Meatloaf. Believe whatever yeah. you want to believe. I'm taking it back. You're going to call me Meatloaf? Yeah, I'm going to own it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things, though, where I would love to think that every time he did an interview, because you know everyone at one point is going to go, why meatloaf? Just no, tell us, but, why but, meatloaf? And every time he had a different answer, that would have been a good, yeah. a good bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they've gone to see meatloaf and yeah, Chef helped him fatten up and he became the real meatloaf and that's how he became successful and he was a big fan of um of Chef as a result. Then the kids go to, I oh, don't no, actually know, we then see Chef and he's made the love to Miss Crabtree or he's about to before he gives well, her the Chef's pleasure bag. Got to break out Chef's pleasure bag. <laughs> He sold it to her. He sold it to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, Chef's a very seductive gentleman. He can sell you on just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the next celebrity visit, one of my favourites. I mean, Rick we James. don't really, we don't see them. <laughs> Thanks, Rick James. I'm yeah. <laughs> just cracking up. What does he spend, like 35? I oh, know they've made 35 bucks. Or he, no, he spends 35 bucks for, on their candy, doesn't he? Do they say? I've got $35 in brackets after Rick James. I've got $95 because that's how much the kids made. I was at 95. Maybe I've got that wrong. Anyway, but yeah, Rick James. Thanks, Rick James. Then we get Chef. He's now made the love to the mayor, um, but he's now starting to get tired. Like he's, he's, he's had enough. He's just, he, he can't keep sleeping with everybody. He, can, he can't keep doing this. It's not a way to make $2 million. Meanwhile, Garrison has called in Officer Barb Brady because he set up a camera and he wants to show him the photos. I'm like, he didn't look at the photos before showing them to Barb Brady. He's gone to the trouble of printing these photos, having them developed, you know, holding them in his hand. What, why is he not showing them to Barbara? Because Barbara's like, are you serious? And he's like, it can't be. I'm like, wait, you took the photos and went, I'm going to wait yeah. until Barbara arrives <laughs> and then I'm going to have a look at them. It's like, just felt a bit silly to me. Chef is now, uh, he's getting arrested because he hasn't been able to come up with the money. The kids have raised $95. He's made four ten three hundred, which is a shitload of money. Uh, but, but the capitalist records guy, he takes his money as well because he is above the law. And um and then she, they start beating Chef for telling them how to do their job, the police do. A bit of uh, <laughs> police brutality there here on South Park. And the kids, they can't believe that Chef's gone. Cartman cries about it because this, this can't be. You know, how many times has he got us out of trouble? Four. <laughs> I, I like that because it feels like it's more, but really, it's not that much. Yeah, not that bad. It's cause they always go, I guess it's because they always go, always go to him for advice. So it feels like it's more. And Stan suggests that they do Chef Aid. Did you think I would just take you back? Like you can just walk out and then come back like nothing happened? Oh, don't look at me like that, Mr. Hat. Remember, you're the one that left, and I'm not going to take you back. You can just go to hell. You go to hell and you die. You are a lying ball of turd, Mr. Hat. I hope you starve, you lousy son of a bitch. What are you all looking at? This is between me and Mr. Hat. It's over, Mr. Garrison. This is it. We've had enough. What do you mean? I'm afraid it's the big house for you, fruitcake. What? Jail? Cartman's dancing for Chef Aid. Um, they're telling the dance better. It's not going well. And thankfully, Elton John arrives and he's, he's called all his buddies. Buddy, ho. <laughs> I love that they just... <laughs> How can we get everyone in town at the same time? Elton, just 
Alton just calls all his buddies. You know, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> they all arrive and um, they, they put on a hell of a concert for Chef. So Garrison and Chef are now in prison together. And he tells Garrison, you are a schizophrenic. You, know, you are Mr. Hat. You are Mr. Twig, you fucking crazy guy. And Garrison thinks he's coming on to him. Don't even think of taking advantage of me. <laughs> Don't think of taking advantage of me in this prison cell. <laughs> Can you remember who kicks off Chef Aid? Uh, was it? No, not was it Primus? No. no. Um, they sing Rancid. Yes, Rancid. Ruby Soho. Yes. All right, let's get things going with Rancid. Woo, sweet. California sun has sunk. Banana meals, here comes the night. I was high on junk. They wrote that song for this for this episode, apparently. So let's go to the album. So what were the, the track listings on here? So we've got South Park theme. Uh, you got, yeah, what was the song that Rancid sang on the uh, album? Let's find it. Brad Logan. Brad Logan, yes, which was a song. So, yeah, so it says here they, they wrote it for the episode um, Chef Aid for South Park and it appeared on the album Chef Aid, the South Park album. So the only way to get this song was to own the album, which I'm assuming many Rancid fans went out and bought the album just for that reason, you know? I imagine so, yeah. Yeah, which uh, cleverly marketed this episode, wasn't it? And the way it was handled, to, to tie it in with it with the first South Park album, because, you know, as we are saying, in late 1999 or, or, or 1998, sorry, Owning an album for a TV show was a novelty. It was a really cool thing. You're like, you were the cool person if you had that album to have these songs and be able to listen to whenever you wanted to. To tie it in with genuine stars that felt like they suited the South Park model. It wasn't just songs from South Park. It was songs from South Park plus some fucking awesome songs from rock stars and musicians who you would associate with the South Park brand. I thought it was just handled so well. Very, very good synergy on their part. Absolutely, yeah. The concert's going well now. They're make, making lots of money. Mr. Hat then rescues... Uh, chef and Mr. Garrison from prison. I'm just like, this is just getting fucking weird now. <laughs> <laughs> then we get uh, you know, Rick James and Primus. Did you see Mr. Mackey was crowd surfing during Primus? I did. Yeah. <laughs> Having a great time. Then the executive arrives and he's very pissed off of what's going down here. And Joe Strummer, pump your loins, children. So Joe, oh, Joe Strummer, lead singer from um, The Clash. The Clash. Yeah. Um, he also appeared in the uh, Behind the Menu special. And we get Chef, he's, he's broken out of prison now, courtesy of Mr. Hattie, arrives with Garrison, he can't believe what's happening here, you kids did all this, and the executive, as a way to sort of stop the concert, he starts cutting the stage mm. um, to try and make the stage collapse, and I'm like, is that still going to stop people from wanting to give m- money, but whatever, doesn't matter, <laughs> sort of too far into it, Ozzy Osbourne though, he's, um, he's there, he bites the head off the, the, the um, what does he say, Pompadour hat, bite head off bat, or something like that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he bites the head off of Kenny, you know. <laughs> Then we get Ween, who don't actually know Chef, but they in the special though, if you watch the special, they mm. talk about how much Chef was instrumental with their career. So it doesn't sort of, the continuity there doesn't sort of really work because they're like, no. who's Chef? It doesn't matter. But the, in the special that promoted this episode, apparently he saved your careers. But anyway, Ween, a band you don't really hear too much about these days, Ween. They sound very 1998 though, don't they? They do indeed. And I mean, yeah, Ween was uh, yeah very big in the nineties just because... I think we initially thought they were a bit of a comedy act because they had this song called Push the Little Daisies, which was, Nice singing in the news. Yeah, so uh, it was one of those songs you couldn't get out of your head as much as you wanted to. Uh, but apparently, the, you know, they've done other albums and, and people are like, actually, Ween's a pretty solid band, but they've got that song to their credit and they're called Ween. Yes. So <laughs> a lot of people are taking them seriously as a result. Garrison now, he's having a conversation with Mr. Twig. Don't worry, Mr. Twig. Even though Mr. Hat rescued me from prison, I'm still going to stick with you. Do you love him? It doesn't matter. He left me. Do you love him? Yes. Then run to him. But I feel like I'd be making the wrong decision. Love isn't a decision. It's a feeling. 
If we could decide who he loved, it would be much simpler, but much less magical. I'll never forget you, Mr. Twig. Thank you. So this is where Alton Johnny's now singing Stan's song, Wake Up Wendy, that he wrote that he wrote for, for Wendy, which Alton John now owns the rights to. And the stage mm-hmm. slightly tips when the executive cuts it. And it's like it's kind of anticlimactic. It just sort of goes quiet and the, the lights go off. Yeah. There's no sort of like carry on or anything. It's just like the concert's over now, I guess. Nothing really happened. But then we get the uh, the voiceover. And what happened then? Which is, uh, is this a takeoff of the Grinch? With the, the heart I growing? think it is, yeah. The, Grin- the Grinch's heart grows there. Yeah. In size three times because, you know, he's been shown about the goodness. Yeah, so Cochrane's heart has grown three times. The Grinch is, you know, he's being compared to the Grinch. He takes the case free of charge. So all this money that he's made is now Chef. So Chef's now rich and he gets to sue <laughs> Capitalist Records. <laughs> gets his name on Stinky Britches. Yeah. Because, you know, Cochrane once again pulls the uh, Chewbacca defence and adds a little wrinkle. Look at the monkey. Look at the silly monkey. It does not make sense to the point where when he says, look at that silly monkey, the, the head explodes. The jury members <laughs> can't, can't comprehend such craziness. <laughs> such so legal wizardry. Yes. Yeah, so Chef wins. He thanks the bands and thanks the children. And since it's Tuesday, tomorrow is going to be tuna casserole day. So the status quo has been restored. We've had a bunch of guest stars. And it's just an overall, a very... Uh, and a, a monumental, as I said at the start of this, of this podcast, a monumental episode of South Park that... Feels mm. feels like an event, because it was. It really was, yeah. I mean, yeah, the build-up to it was like, oh, wow, this is a, pretty wild that they're getting these guys Every attached. And then, episode. as he said, yeah, with the, uh, with the special attached and the album attached, it's like, wow, you're really going all out to, yeah, get us on board with South Park. And uh, we got on board, and there we stayed. I wonder if... Um I wonder what this, the, the the ratings were for this episode. Do they, set, do they do that for the South Park episodes on the Wikipedia page? Let's find out. Let's go to... um. South Park's second season. So, averaging about 3.4. No. Can you believe this had less people watching than Cow Days? That blows my fucking mind. (laughs) That can't can't be right. This was, I'm scrolling up, the least viewed episode of the season so far. Yeah. That's incredible. That's actually mind-blowing. I'm wondering if there's sort of, there's bleed over from the so-so Cow Days episode where it's like, Oh, maybe South Park's off the boil a bit. Regardless, though, this 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 is a stunt, a, a, no, a, a rating stunt, mm. essentially. You know, how does that not work when you've got the album coming out? Like, surely everyone at the time would have been talking about Chef Aid when it came to the media. Like, you know, Chef Aid this week, you got you know, Meatloaf and Elton John. Like, to have Elton John on South Park, that's a new story in itself. To have the least, I'm scrolling down, it's the second least viewed episode of the season. That is, that is crazy to me. That does not make sense. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but what? time has been kind to it, and uh, yeah, here we are, some two decades later, just singing the praises of Chef Aid on going down to South Park. Yeah, that's a real shame. I'm kind of disappointed with that because like, you think you got all these people coming onto the show. Maybe I guess South Park fans just did not want stunt car. They, they didn't want a stunt show. They wanted they wanted the yeah. kids. They wanted more Cartman, not enough Cartman. <laughs> anyway, so that is our review of Chef Aid. A Fantastic episode in its own little time capsule, if you ask me. I really enjoyed watching this, and it's just, it just put a smile on my face. I Just all the, the 90s references, and yeah, it, was, it was just a lot of fun. No, I got an absolute kick out of it as well. It was good to, uh, good to step back in time and uh, not just feast on the eyes, but feast the ears with uh, yeah, a little bit of Ween, a little bit of Primus, and a little bit of Sir Elton John. Mm-hmm. All right, well, the next episode of Going Down to South Park, we're going to be revisiting Spooky Fish, 
So make sure you look out for that in your feeds. Remember, guys, please continue to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do find this show. Apparently, people are finding this show via Spotify the, the most. 92% of our listeners come from Spotify. So if you're listening to us on Spotify hey. out there, do it right now. Just chuck us five quick stars. We would appreciate that. It helps uh, Spotify's algorithm go, that's the show people want to listen to. Let's bump that up our little uh, our little feed. So, yes, if you're listening right now, wherever you are, chuck us five stars. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, chuck us uh, a few kind words as well. We would really appreciate it. And if you do enjoy what we do here, you can support us by being a member of our Patreon family where you get access to our Facebook community, where you get to banter with Guy and myself every day and early access to um to the show, early ad-free access, and you get um bonus reviews. Obviously, I said earlier we did the the worldwide privacy tour and doing this review I thought it'd be nice for us to do a review on the Simpsons already did an episode of South Park I thought it'd be a fun little bonus one to do as well so that'll be coming up in in the uh, Patreon feed in the coming weeks so if you do enjoy that one support the show for as little as one single dollar we do you can do so and once we hit 1000 patrons we are going to launch a Bob's Burgers podcast which I'm very excited for because I've currently I've burned through the first three seasons of Bob's Burgers and I'm loving it so if you love Bob's <laughs> it's a fantastic so you, show so if you love Bob's Burgers and you're going to want to hear a podcast from myself and Guy uh, you can just be a patron of the show like I said as soon as we hit a thousand supporters we're going to launch that podcast exclusively for you guys so thank you again for your support listening to the show I hope you enjoyed this review next episode is Spooky Fish Mr. Davis any final words for those incredible listeners out there we are above the law